0: Good evening. I guess it is time to start. And uh, we're coming to the fifth piece of armor tonight. Am I talking loud enough? (laughs) I feel like I'm blowing people away here on the front row. (laughs) Okay, all right. I got competition every week, these fans. Bring my fans along. Anyway, this fifth piece of armor is... uh, Take the helmet of salvation. We're, we're only doing a half a verse tonight. Half a verse. Lord willing, right? <laughs> yeah. But it's uh, the reason He says take it is because uh, it's a piece, uh, in the literal sense, that's not attached to the soldier, not attached to the body. So it's to be taken up uh, or to be put on. And we know that every part of the body, as far as the physical body is concerned, has to be protected. And we definitely have to have our heads covered, uh, and that's the idea in the spiritual sense, too, because the battle presses around the Christian constantly. And it's furious sometimes. Sometimes he hardly knows that there's even a battle going on. And it doesn't always matter whether we know whether it's going on or not. Even though there is, uh, we may not even know it, and even what is happening. But what is important is that the great commander, uh, the Christ he's the commander in chief right he knows what's going on and he knows how to handle it and he guarantees victory so this is one thing we know that in the ultimate and in the end we win so isn't that great to know that's part of the helmet of salvation in the fact that we win you keep that in mind always then you uh, are utilizing that helmet right let's have a word uh, with the Lord Father, we uh, thank You. We praise You for You being such a holy, awesome God. And we are in absolute awe of You. You are great. And as we get instruction from Your Word in this uh, text tonight, dealing with the helmet of salvation, that it would help in, uh, in our daily battles that we have, knowing that Jesus is coming back, And he is the great hope, the ultimate hope, and the final salvation. And we are thankful that uh, you have given us that knowledge and that wisdom and that we depend upon that in uh, the battles that we have. In uh, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we uh, always take a piece of the armor and we uh, look at it from uh, the way that Paul was looking at it as he looked at that Roman soldier. And he knew that the Roman soldier would always wear his helmet whenever he would go in battle. And um, he would, a soldier would never go into battle without it. You have to have your head covered. Uh, the injuries could uh, take you out in, in, a, in a hurry. Um, one of the kind of swords that they'd be using would be the broad sword, the great big sword and they would come in there like that with the two hands and try to decapitate the soldier, or they would try to uh, conk him out. But uh, whatever it be, it would be that big sword. Now, there's another sword that we'll look at next time, and that's dealing with the sword of the spirit, which is a small hand-type sword where it's meant for battle one-on-one. It's not that great big sword to take off a head, but it specifically gets to the point. But uh, this one here is to split skulls. A skull splitter, and uh, so that's why you better have a, a helmet on because that's what they're going to try to do to you. So you can see why a soldier would never go out to battle without that being on. And it would be some kind of a, kind of a hat, a thick leather hat that would be covered with uh, metal plates. Maybe some helmets would be made and uh, molded from uh, beaten metal that they would put together. They'd have cheek, cheek, cheek. <laughs> Chick pieces, cheek, cheek pieces, if I can say it right here, that comes down the side so you can kind of envision that. That would be protecting uh, their face and have their whole head being protected. And on the top of the helmet would be a plume. Nothing there particularly to protect you, it just looked kind of cool. <laughs> so, anyway, that's kind of the ornamental part, but we know that the, uh, the helmet is definitely a key component to be wearing. Now, we apply that spiritually. And Paul is drawing attention to the head. When we think of the helmet, we think of the head. We think of the mind. We think of the understanding. The greatest gift we have is uh, the mind that God has given us. And we've already seen where the truth, the belt of truth is, is key. Uh, we want to be thinking on that kind of truth, uh, what God has given us, the whole body of faith. And we've already seen how the enemy uh, will attack uh, we, we have to have that breastplate of righteousness on. Um, you know, as far as a real soldier is concerned, he would have the organs, and he would have those protected by that breastplate. Uh, you take out an organ, and uh, you're, you're gone quickly. So uh, we look at that spiritually, and we said, well, that deals with the feelings, the emotions, the, uh, the desires that we have. You put on that breastplate of righteousness, and uh, that will protect uh, those. But what we're dealing with tonight is the intellectual part. And Paul is not so concerned now with particular doctrines. And doctrines are good. We've already seen that. We covered that with the belt of truth. But this particular thing is really, it's a general sense with our whole attitude towards our faith. The whole broad spectrum in a general sense. Uh, Not a specific doctrine. So when you think of the enemy... And wanting to get to your thinking, and that's really where he really wants to do his damage, our way of thinking. Uh, that's why we have to renew our mind daily, right? In Romans 12:2, as Paul is drawing attention to our mind here and our intellect, we see that uh, there is strategy and tactics that are done in warfare. And Satan would love to get to our way of thinking through tactics and strategy. And this piece here is going to be dealing with both, but overall it will finally be strategy, the whole overall plan that he has. You can take a, a good general. He can be really good at tactics, but not be so good at the whole ball of wax, the whole campaign. He might be able to win those battles and specifically be able to get in there and do that, but he doesn't have maybe the view of the whole campaign in front of him. Or you might have one general that is the other way around, and he can see the whole campaign, but he may not be very good at the tactics. His strategy for the whole deal might be, um, the details, the incidents—that's that's the the tactics, the the events that come in the campaign. So, in a lot of senses, the devil likes to take strategy, and his strategy is is to wear us down over a long period of time. To wear us down, he he's good at the tactics, but overall is he'd like to take you into a war of attrition, if that's what he has to do. And so he'll take you in for a long time. And and eventually the Christians almost feel like giving up. If you've been in the battle for a long time and you've not really had a break, you feel like you'd like to quit. The only thing is, if you're a Christian, you can't. (laughs) You have to keep on fighting. They say, I feel so weary, I feel so tired this campaign doesn't feel like it's ever going to get over with. How often do we uh, say to ourselves, oh, I wish the Lord would come back right now. Especially when we have some challenge coming up the next day or whatever. It would be great if it came back now. Uh, but anyway, that's, that's uh, a way that um, the enemy works. He would love for us just to give up and uh, to be worn down. You can feel so weary, so tired, You even get hopeless. Almost feels like you don't even have a hope. Seems like this campaign that you're warring on is not getting anywhere. And so we're to remain standing, though. And we've looked at the the shoes, right, last week. Shod your feet with the gospel. And so we know that we have to keep standing. Stand firm. And that's the setup for this whole issue anyway, and all this whole battle, to stand firm, resist the enemy. Well, the if we're talking about a helmet, then we're talking about a sword that is going to try to get to the head, and Satan's blows are directed at the believer, and really he loves to get to the security of the believer, or his assurance. He would love to destroy him there, at least uh, the way that he thinks. And he does a couple of different ways, and we kind of talked about this earlier, discouragement and doubt. So he's going to take that discouragement to your head. He's going to work on you there. Um, You might have failures. You might have sins. You might have all sorts of problems. All sorts of things you're dealing with. It can be health. I don't care what we're all dealing with. It can be all of those, all of the above, one of them. But anything or all of the above can help make us lose confidence in the fact of uh, where we're at in Christ. We can feel wounded. We've struggled, and we've uh, you get a you get a head wound and or a headache, and it can uh, spin you uh, into dizziness. And you don't, you know, we don't think we'll, and we don't even think we're ever going to finish with this war. It's just constant. It's just like the heat. It seems, do you think we're ever going to get out of this heat? <laughs> we know that somewhere in the fall, somewhere along the line, we're going to get a break, right? So we know, at, and that's kind of where we're heading on this helmet of salvation. Sometimes it seems useless, though. I mean, we feel this way. But we know it's not useless. We know what we're supposed to do. But it seems like we're not getting anywhere. And some of you might recall the book of Hebrews. And the context of Hebrews is that there are Jewish people who were true Christians in that book. But there are also other ones that you don't know what they are. They could be Christians and they may not. Then you have some that are just Jewish people that have hung around the church but they're not even saved and so it could be those kind of groups of people but there definitely were true ones but there were some that were getting beaten by persecution and because they came out from their family to join the Christians now they were outcasts, lost their job, seems like everything is going right, wrong and um, now what are they going to do? What are they going to do? And they're thinking about going back because they are tired of this and it's not going anywhere. And so the Hebrew writer wrote that. Uh, they had too many trials. They had too many problems, they thought. And the campaign was too long and they just couldn't go on. And so there they are walking the, uh, in, in the middle and uh, thinking about going back. Uh, that's why the warnings were given in, in Hebrews especially to the, to the ones who weren't Christians. You go back into the Old Testament, you think of Elijah. Elijah is taking on all those prophets of Baal, the false prophets. And, I mean, he doesn't waver whatsoever. He takes them all on, wins that whole deal. And, I mean, he's up on top, right? And, you know, he stood fearlessly against those false prophets never was frightened whatsoever. But it's interesting. One woman versus all those prophets, one woman scared him so much he went on the run and I understand he was probably somewhere around 80 years old when he went into that running spurt. He was scared to death and they finally uh, got to a place the Lord took care of him. Uh, and he thought he was the only one. You remember that? Lord, I'm the only one out here. And then what does the Lord say? I have 7,000 of his own. There are more like Elijah. There are more believers out there. And anyway, he uh, <clears throat> he got fed on God's um, promise and word and uh, things kind of straightened out. Yeah, go ahead. Uh huh.
1: sometimes I think to But i
0: Doesn't that help to know? that there's others out there. Yeah, they might be getting shot at too, but they're praying for you and you're praying for them and you're thinking about them and you're encouraging each other. Well, if we didn't have other people to back us up, we would feel alone, wouldn't we? And that's a terrible feeling.
1: And doesn't
0: it make you feel better? I mean, that
1: has been a great time for a lot right
0: around there. Absolutely. Here.
1: Oh. Really? I'm not the only one. I don't know why,
0: but it makes a big
1: difference. That's and part of God's plan. God. Yep.
0: Yep. Yeah, we find out we're not alone. Oh, there's other people going through some of the same kind of things. I thought it was just me. How about Job? You remember all the things that he went through, right? We know what he lost there, his family and his health and, I mean, home, just I, everything. I mean, he was stripped down to really nothing, not even his health. I mean, how far can you go? But we see Job say something in the middle of uh, Job. Not not at the end. We know that he, uh, the Lord shows himself to Job. I mean, in the sense of uh, the word came to him there. But even before that, in Job 13.15, here's one line that always is incredible. Though he slay me... Yet will I trust Him. Even if God kills me, I trust in Him. He has nowhere else to turn. He knows that. I'm going to trust Him. No matter what He does here, I'm going to trust. There we go. Very good. Those are the kind of scriptures that we go to whenever... We're getting uh, uh, an attack or we're feeling, de- you know, uh, alone, depressed. Uh, just name a thousand different things that happen. Or we're getting the arrow shot at us, right? And we're putting that shield up, right? The shield of faith. Um, by the way, speaking of the shield, I have been told that it might be one of the best hero movies ever and maybe the best. You know which one I'm talking about? Captain America! <laughs> <laughs> the shield, right the shield Nondor, did you think of the shield of faith whenever you when you thought of Captain America Yeah. hey All right think of scripture it but it 's neat you know when, whenever you you come up with certain scriptures like that now we 're drawing upon certain we 're actually drawing on the next piece of armor really that we can now use whenever the enemy says this, and you say, oh no, here, look at this, look what happened look what what happened to um to job. Or Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. See that? And you go, oh, yeah. Anyway, Satan will do everything he can to deter us, to discourage us. And you know what I found out? It's the one who is a striving believer, one who has really been searching out God's Word, that really wants to know Him who seems to be the most tempted by Satan's sword of discouragement. With, is that possible? You would think it would be the, the one who doesn't care, you know, and sometimes Christians kind of put their Bible on the shelf, put the church on the shelf, everything else, you know, and they just kind of are just sitting there. Well, the enemy really doesn't have to do much with them. Now he's got them where he wants them already. You know, they're on the shelf. But you you get one who's studying or wanting to know the things of the Lord or serving the Lord, doing the things that we're supposed to do, praying, um, we're in the battle. We're in the battle. Well, that, that, that was uh, dealing with discouragement. How about doubt? Well, Satan wants us to doubt. He wants us to doubt God's power. He wants us to doubt uh, God's promises that we know full well. But there's just literally thousands in here. He wants us to doubt God's goodness. He wants us to doubt God's truth. Well, how do we battle that? Well, there are a number of scriptures. Let's go to 1 John. 1 John 2. Hey, there's the Michael. Yeah. Got a sheet just for you. Well,
1: thank you.
0: I, uh, yeah, even got your name on it, but it disappeared.
1: No, no, it somewhere.
0: No. All right. We're in 1 John. We're in chapter 2, verse 3. By the way... You can go over there and pick out any Bible that you want there.
1: All right. Yeah. <laughs> Get out the
0: biggest Bible you can find, right? Why <laughs> not? Okay, in 1 John 2, verse 3, and this is about knowing, okay? All, of, all of these scriptures are going to deal with knowing. Now by this, we know that we know Him. Okay, we know that we know Him well, how do we know that if we keep His commandments? I mean, if we're obeying Him because we we trust Him, we obey Him, we know Him because we desire to really follow what He's given us. So that's one way. First John gives us some things of how we can know we're Christians or not. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 13, Here's another, no. I write to you fathers, fathers of the faith, because you have known Him who is from the beginning. Now look at that. The fathers of the faith. These are the ones that are settled. They're strong um, and they have matured in the faith. They know not only God's Word, but they have a, a, a great relationship with the, with the Father. So they, they just know Him. Intimately know Him, right? Chapter 3, verse 2. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. Yes. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know, we know this, that when He's revealed, we know this, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. You don't really know exactly where you're going to be at next year. You don't know what you're going to be doing really for sure, do you? Don't know. Lord willing, but we don't know. But there's one thing we really do know. A lot of things because of God's Word, but here's one thing right here. We know when we see Christ, we're going to see Him as He is. We're going to be able to see Christ. And we're going to be like Him. is that an incredible thought? We know that. So when that doubt happens, just start thinking of the things that you know. Chapter 3, verse 19. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. We know. We know this is truth. We don't have to doubt that this is God's truth. We know it's truth. So when we start having doubting situations come up, we can say, Yeah, but I know God's truth. And I know his promises. And I know that as we go along, first John there. Chapter five, verse thirteen. Here's a good one. This is a good one. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. I've written these things. Why? That you may know that you have eternal life. That's pretty good, isn't it? You can know. That's the reason John wrote this. He says, "I wanted. I, I'm writing these things because I want you to know that you'll have eternal life. You'll never lose it. It's yours. It's yours forever." while I'm writing it. Thank you, John. I'm glad he did that. Because I've used that many times on people who say they can lose salvation. I'd say, well, why would John write the fact that you can know you have eternal life? By the way, what does eternal mean anyway? Eternal. Okay, uh, let's, since we're doing John, we're on a roll with John, right? John's, John's just uh, serving up all sorts of good stuff for us. Let's go to John 6.
1: Oh, that's John
0: 6 get a little bit of uh, the electing God here. John 6, verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Father gives His children to Christ. They come to Him. And the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. The Son does the will of the Father. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all He has given me, every one of them, every one of the ones that were given, not about the ones that were not given, but the ones that were given, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. Now, if somebody lost their salvation, what kind of character does God have? Well, for one thing, He's lying. And then He doesn't have the power to keep the ones that He has chosen. Uh, I think that has quite um, a powerful statement in showing the character of God. And, um, by the way, verse 44 is another good one to go with that. No one can come to Me... Unless the Father who sent me draws him. I'll raise him up the last day. So anybody that comes to him, they have eternal life. They will be resurrected. They'll be raised. But you can't come to him unless the Father has drawn him. John 10, 28 and 29. Boy, John has a lot of uh, upbeat statements about the Christian, doesn't he? And uh, eternal life. Uh, Verse 27, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of My Father's hand. I and My Father are one. We can't be snatched out of the Son's hand, can't be snatched out of the Father's hand. My, we have double protection. Isn't that great? We can know these things. Well, we have to go to Romans chapter 8 and get into some really good depth there and good assurance as he states in 29 through 30, it's the golden chain of foreknowledge and predestination and calling and justifying and glorifying. And then in verse 38, at the end of that... Chapter. The whole chapter is fantastic. He says in verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is he saying there? Can anything separate us from the love of God? Can anyone separate us from the love of the Father? Can I myself separate from the love of the Father? This would be to believers. All the ones who, if you go back into verse 29, the ones He foreknew, He predestined and the ones He predestined He called in time and space and matter and those ones that He called He justified He declared them righteous and the ones that are declared righteous are glorified and in our sense we will be glorified and that's kind of where we're heading for this helmet of salvation so that's for all the believers there could be one for that uh, is uh, one who's going to be saved but he's not yet so he can't even claim this, so it's not going to mean anything to him. Yes? I have written next to what you
1: have read the And I have written next to that the call.
0: Yeah, that's that calling. The, uh, he, uh, where he says those he called. There is a general call. Many are called, few are chosen. That's a general call. We are to go out and give the gospel to everybody, right? That's a general call. That's to go to everybody. There's an effectual call, which is the calling that he has for his sheep, like in John chapter 10 that we read. I know my sheep. They know my voice. When I call, they come. Um, The Father is the one who's given them to the Son, and they are drawn to the Son. So that's an effectual calling, something that will, uh, will always happen for the ones that God has chosen
1: that and that's how some, uh, that how we won't have to wonder about the, the tribulation whether it's whether it's before or middle or in or, or whatever we won't have to wonder because uh if we're uh, justified and we're called it's a uh, sexual call, then uh we won't have to wonder
0: Yeah, any t- any kind of uh, trial, tribulation, any persecution, anything that you're going on now or anything that's coming in the future, whatever it is, you really don't have to really be anxious about it.
1: I mean, we won't have to wonder, is that him? Is that him who's come back? We won't have to wonder because...
0: No, you'll know who he is. Yeah, we shall see him as he is and be like him. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're talking about a, a calling. Uh, whenever he comes back, is that what you're thinking of? Yeah, I guess
1: that's kind of... that I was
0: a salvation that, calling.
1: Yeah, I've heard different uh, yeah. sermons kind of on that. You know, the, some people preach trip, post trip, mid trip, and all this stuff. And you know, with, with all the false prophets that'll um, that'll uh, uh,
0: oh, okay. Well, in the yeah, in the Romans eight, it, it's just talking about a, a, a call, a uh, salvation calling. And 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 how it it goes all the way back before the foundation of the world, all the way on into uh glory. Yeah. Oh God's plan. Philippians one six. Yeah, we we went to we gotta do a little bit of Paul here just for a moment. We did Romans and we did Philippians here. Being confident. See, we need this confidence we need this confidence because that's what he wants to wear down he wants to wear down the confidence enemy does of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ there the day of Jesus Christ is when he comes back he's going to he's working on it now but he will complete it it will come to its finish there's the glorification as in Romans 8 um, so, you can bank on this. These are just incredible promises, incredible truths that we we know are, are for sure we can draw upon. And they're all saying the same thing, aren't they? These are just a few eternal security passages. And I know I'm not fooling anybody here, just throwing them out there at you like that. But you say, oh, yeah. But those are good to have because somebody will say, well, how do I know that I'm saved? Well, here we go. Here's... if if you trusted in Christ, if you know that He has saved you, then you know you have eternal life because look how many verses we saw there. And we could keep on going, couldn't we? But those are some that just stand out that you can't argue with. We have to stay in context. I take those verses to somebody who says, yeah, but choose you this day whom you'll serve. And see, if you don't if you don't choose Him now, then even though you were a Christian, now you're not a Christian and you lost your salvation. And I'll say, but you, you're eliminating, you're taking that and meaning saying that that means that but what about these verses we have to deal with each yeah but they'll both. you can lose it but here are these verses that say that you can't if you're a real Christian now what do we do do we say that God is lying or we, we can take both of these passages and now correlate them and see that they both go hand in hand but the one that is a Christian he does have eternal life so anyway those are good to hang your hat on um what about this? You know, okay. The discouragement, the doubt comes. We we need some scriptural admonishment. Um, some of these we've we've seen. I think we did the First John two three, didn't we? Didn't we do that already? Uh, yeah. This we know that we. Okay. So you you know the the no passages.
1: Uh,
0: oh, I know. Galatians six nine. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Uh, This is a marathon. It's not a hundred meter dash. This Christian life, he says, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. Okay? Uh, you're going to reap what, what God has for you. Don't lose heart. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Stay with it. This is a long battle. And so you remember strategy? Satan's strategy is to wear you down. He said, yeah, I've got these promises. And you keep coming up and you use those promises. And another season comes and boom, you get a hit again. And what are you going to do? Well, start coming back with those scriptures again. All you know, you're using your brain here, you're using your thinking. You've, you've been renewing your mind, but if you haven't been renewing your mind and you haven't been in the Word, you've forgotten those scriptures and you forgot how to apply them. And now all of a sudden you start getting weary, losing confidence, and you get beat up. And uh, it's like taking our helmet off. We're, we're not thinking right. Once we do that, the enemy really can. Uh, do some damage how about 2 Peter chapter 3 3 and 4 uh, dealing with false prophets here some are going to say ok ok where's the promise of his coming he hasn't come back yet I thought all you Christians were saying that he's going to come back uh, who was it the 88 reasons why way back in 1988 and then you had this kook back in May that we were supposed to, you know, the Lord was supposed to come back, you know. And, uh, of course, they keep moving the dates and, you know, all the cults have come up with prophecies. They've been wrong. Every one of them have been wrong. There's never been one right. <laughs> of course,
1: I know... I if... people predicting and be, will come back. That's right. That's
0: right. <laughs> well... Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. The heavens and the earth which are now preserved it goes into finally the day of judgment. The Lord is going to do that. But you got these people going around saying, okay, saying that Christ is going to come back. Well, where is He at? You know, you have those that come around. And so therefore, uh, you could hear that enough times and start thinking, yeah, it's yeah, not it come back yet. Keep waiting. Luke eighteen one. Everybody's familiar with this one? We've probably used this one many times. He spoke a parable to them that men always ought to what? Pray and not lose heart. Oh, we read that one earlier in another passage. This is Jesus speaking here. Men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Keep praying. Don't lose heart. It's okay. You don't see it right now. You don't feel it. But don't lose heart. It's okay. Look in Second Timothy 1. 7 we We're trying to uh, put this into application. You know, putting the, this helmet on. These are some of the things that we do. This is how we uh, we battle when we have our helmet on. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but what has He given us? Power and of love and of a sound mind. The uh, literal Greek word there, uh, you have "sozo," for instance, and that is salvation or saved. And you're thinking of mind. I think it's froneo. So I think it's safroneo, which means saved brains, <laughs> a saved mind, a sound mind, a sound mind, power, love, and a sound mind. He doesn't give us fear, does he? We should not fear the enemy. How about Isaiah 40? Up, we've used this before. We're going to go there again. Verse 29. He gives power to the weak. He gives power to the weak. Hey, that's me. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary. They get tired. And the young men shall utterly fall. Even them. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When he says those who wait on the Lord, that means they're patient, Uh, they're realizing that God's glory is coming. They're patient in all the trials they go through. But those who wait on the Lord, He'll give them the strength. They're going to run. They're not going to be weary. They're going to walk. They're not going to faint. What a promise, huh? Everybody knows that one. Okay, now, we'll go back to our Ephesians 6.17 and put on the helmet of what? What? Salvation, And in salvation there are three tenses. I was saved. I am being saved or sanctified. And I will be saved. Glorification. So we have three tenses that we can work on and I'm going to go out on a limb and say the helmet of salvation, even though it is some, um, has a lot to do with salvation, actually, this is for a believer already. He's the one that's putting this armor on. Nothing wrong with that thought, but if you take it a little bit further, we're going to give, I think, what is a key to this salvation, uh, the meaning of it here, the helmet of salvation. Go, and this is our key verse for the night. 1 Thessalonians
1: 5.8
0: But let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation and he goes on and says, "...for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we awake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing." In your First Thessalonians passage, it's dealing with the, the day of the Lord. It's talking about a future event. So keeping that into context, as we see here, the helmet of the hope of salvation right now we don't hope to be saved in the sense of a a first salvation or even being saved even right now but there is something that we look to that is going to come that is a hope that we are absolutely confident in we're sure of it's not a I hope so hope so Mm -hmm. right but it's the true hope we know we are so confident in that so the hope of salvation there is which tense first Second or third, past, present or future. the best way to understand this or uh, a very helpful way, and uh, there's different interpretations. it's okay on a lot of these, a lot of them just kind of come together. But I think if we can think on what's going to be coming, knowing, knowing what He's done in saving us, but also knowing that we are going to be ultimately glorified, then it really helps in our walk. It's not so much that I have to realize salvation at the present time. We can say, "Yeah, I know I'm saved." But it's the hope, the hope of salvation. Look in Romans 13, verse 11. And do this. What? Knowing the time. That now it is high time. What, you ever heard of that? It's high time you get in here right now. You ever heard your mother say that when when you were a kid? (laughs) High time you stop that. To awake out of sleep. Wake up. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Well, I thought salvation was already done. Well, in the process you have the saving and then being saved now, being sanctified. But again, the same thing here. Our salvation, the ultimate salvation, the redemption is a lot closer now than it was before. Christ is a lot closer, isn't He? He's a lot closer now in our time than He was when Paul wrote this. So it's good to to keep on uh, in our thoughts there. By the way, in the the next verse, it says, uh, let us put on the armor of light there. He uses light. He uses different illustrations, but again along the same lines. Look in First Corinthians chapter one, verse thirty. One thirty, First Corinthians. But of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. Okay, Christ, what did he do? He became for us, he became our wisdom. And righteousness. Christ is our righteousness, right? And sanctification. So you have the righteousness or justification. Then you have the sanctification, which is going on right now. And then what's the next one? Redemption. Redemption of our bodies. We have been redeemed spiritually, but there's a redemption that we await for. What's that? Sanctification is being set apart. Sanctification is what's happening to all of us now. Every day of our... It's our walk. We're being sanctified. We've been saved. We are being sanctified. We will be glorified. Past, present, future. So, He is our redemption. Verse 31, that as it is written, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. The ultimate, final, full deliverance. The ultimate uh, redemption. The ultimate victory, right? We win. Hey, did Captain America win? You're not going to tell me, are you? I need to go see the movie. Don't. <laughs> I bet he won. Final victory, right? You're not, you're not saying anything, are you? Okay. I have to go and pay my five bucks. Seven bucks? 1 Corinthians
1: fifteen thirty two.
0: I don't even get one of those yet. Do you have to ask? Do you have to ask for them? Aren't you younger than me? Yeah. All right. Well, I will have to try that. <laughs> All right. Anything to
1: save a buck? Maybe okay, I should get a <laughs> discount, then. I am nah.
0: you're, you're, We're going to have to card you, Michael.
1: Okay. Yeah, right. All right. I'll no <laughs> I'll be happy.
0: <laughs> if in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat, and drink, and tomorrow we die. Remember that out of 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter. Well, the emphasis here that we want to look at is fighting with beasts at Ephesus. Uh, I don't know if we're talking literal beast; very well could have been, or he's talking about the beast of the uh, all the different religions and and uh, the guys that were coming after him and uh, the the occult world and such. Who knows? Um, but anyway, he had quite a fight. And he's saying, what good is it? And then he says, hey, if there's no resurrection, then I'm just wasting my time. But, you know, Paul had uh, quite, quite the battles. What's the point of fighting if we don't have a second coming, if we don't have a resurrection? Right? So we always have to keep this in mind. There is something ahead at the end of the race, you know, 2 Corinthians 4 oh I love this I think it's one of my favorite. 2 Corinthians 4 starting at verse 6 you ready? here we go for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness that creator God that said let there be light and it came out right? that same God who did that who has shown in our hearts and he gave us light it was like he said okay let there be light boom went in our heart and we believed like that to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God that's a mouthful the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ well, we could spend a night on that but here we go but ok here's what God did but we have this treasure in earthen vessels clay pots why? Well, that God be glorified, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. He takes these useless clay pots and he doesn't use something just uh, fantastically, you know, gold and uh, the great jewels and what everybody would think he would use. No, he takes people like us and he gets to show his power off by converting us. And we are hard pressed. Now here's a tribulation that Paul went through. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed. This is Paul. He is perplexed. You have been perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted. You have been persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, physically, mentally, spiritually, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. You know, we show Christ in our lives, serving Him. So, then death is working in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you for all things are for your sakes, that grace having spread through the many, here's what it's all about may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. What is it all about? What are all things for? Well, they're for their sakes, but really ultimately it really is not for them in the long run. What is it really about? God's glory. That's what it's about. Now, keep on going. Now, here comes a famous section. Therefore, we do not lose heart. After all of that, Almost to the point of death, Paul said, that he'd been many times. And it's all for God's glory. Because it's for God's glory, we don't lose heart. Even though our outward man, physical, is perishing, yet the inward man is what, what's happening to the inward man, being renewed day by day. Do we see the inward man? No. What do we see? We see the outward man. We see the wrinkles. We see the loss of hair. Or hair going in places that's not supposed to be. And all that other weird stuff. We see that. And we don't see what's happening on the inward man that he's doing. So therefore, we start complaining and going, What's happening? What's going on? Why why are all these attacks? And, And then he says, Well, hey, this is light affliction. This is nothing. It's only for a moment. It's working for us. It's working for us. It's working for me. It's working. This is working for me. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of what? Glory. That's where it's going. While we do not look... and here we go. Here. Here's the message that I have for the Health Wealth Gospel. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary... But the things which are not seen are eternal. And it's nice to see things once in a while. Granted, it really is. And it's very encouraging. And we say, hey, look what God did here. Look what God did there. Isn't it great to hear that? But there's a lot of things we don't see. We don't know what's going on. But he says right here, we live by faith and not by sight. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, so we're after all these things we can see and, and you know, a flair for the dramatic and everything. And he says, that's not, that's not the Christian life. It's living it by faith. And most of the time, it's, there's light affliction going on. Well, it's just light. But you have something far more exceedingly glorious that's coming. What's he doing? He's looking to the future tense. While we're here, we're comforted. It's great. He gives us good times. But every once in a while we'll have some afflictions. But what do we do with it? Eternal way to glory.
1: You know You know,
0: I don't know, but I would think so. Anybody have you Janice? that come out of that verse? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good that's a good book. I read bits and pieces, but I don't think I read the whole thing. Hebrews 1.14 Are they not all ministering spirits? These are angels sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. Now that's an interesting verse, isn't it? The ones who will inherit salvation. That's that future tense of salvation. That's glorification. They're ministering to us, these angels. We're going to be heirs with Jesus Christ. As in Romans chapter eight. How about First Peter chapter five, verse 10? It's worth it, isn't it? Knowing what he is doing, what it's, it's all about him. But may the God of all grace, I like that. He's the you know where grace comes from? Only oh, can come from God, the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. But he called us to eternal glory. Wouldn't that have been nice to just go right on to glory? Uh, No, he says, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And the reason is, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I had somebody ask me one time, How do you know that we're supposed to be giving God glory in everything that we do? He actually detested the thought of God always wanting to get the glory. That's what the Bible is all about. That's really the ultimate, that God gets the glory. I can't think of anything better. That's what He is about. He is glory. And these verses are all over the place. 1 John 3. 1-3 through we're here just while I go in verse 3 behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us after looking at all these verses what kind of love is this that we should be called children of God exclamation point what kind of love is this that He would make us children of Him therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him beloved oh there's that word beloved ah beautiful word beloved That's what God thinks of us. Paul's saying that, but it goes to the fact that we're children of God. We are beloved by God, too. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Now, what do we do in the the present tense? And everyone who has this hope in Him, the hope of salvation, the helmet purifies himself just as he is pure. We're being sanctified as we have that great hope, the hope of his return, the hope of glory, all of that. We that can help purify us here. That helps sanctifies us now. So it's not just living for what, the pie in the sky, but it's you know, it's people will say, "Hey, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good." But if you're really heavenly-minded, you are going to have earthly good because you're going to be purifying yourself if you have the right thought on what uh, all this is about. So um, our anticipation of all of these things, looking at at the future, even in, in the present, in the past, but this protects our head, our thinking in the battle. Oliver Cromwell... Two more minutes. We're right on time. Oliver Cromwell. Anybody ever heard of Oliver Cromwell? He was called the Lord Protectorate in England back in the 1600s. Whenever, that was at one time, they didn't have a king because Oliver Cromwell came in and took the place of a king. The king was taking all the land from the people. They didn't own it, it was their land, but he took it from them. <laughs> That's the way it kind of works with kings. You ever heard of presidents that would like to be called kings? <laughs> um, anyway, Cromwell led an army that were Calvinist. His army were Calvinists. They were believers. They were Christians. It was a Christian army who went and pummeled the king's troops all over England and Scotland Ireland and such. They knew that their destiny was secure. No matter what happened, they were secure in that they were fighting. And even where they were at right now, they knew they were supposed to be there. They were fighting because God had led them to that spot. And God was going to prosper them in that work. Now, that may have sounded like a little bit of positive thinking, but this was a praying army. And for a little while, they had... A great time in England when Cromwell uh, was ruling as Lord Protectorate of the country. They later got back their kings and went down that road. But uh, that was kind of interesting that you had uh, basically a Christian army fighting. Uh, I know that doesn't sound christian ease, but uh, you have to also remember there was... um, people were losing their lives, losing their land, and uh, just by despots. People overtaking. Anyway, um, we should be knowing that, okay, wherever I'm at, God has led me to this spot. And I'm going to let Him use me here until He moves me to the next spot. I'll just be wanting to find out where that is, so I'll be in prayer. But I'm going to trust Him. Well, we're going to have setbacks we are going to have battles where we get beat sometimes. But you know what? That's not the end. And it doesn't really mean defeat anyway. It's a battle that's going to help us get to the end of the uh, of all this. Uh, you remember Second Corinthians 4 that we just read, verse 8 and 9, all those afflictions. Okay, we finish up here. Well, what about this hope? What about this hope? You remember that in Ephesians 5, you have the bride or the wife and you have the husband and the, uh, you have an illustration of Christ bringing us to being at a point where we have no spots or wrinkles. And of course, you know, he takes that analogy in, in the, the family what's happening. Then he takes, here's the spiritual thing. We are the bride of Christ and one day we will be perfect Without any spot, without any wrinkle, no stains, nothing but beautiful white. Isn't that beautiful? That's something. That's where that's where we're heading. That's hope, isn't it? We know that's gonna happen. And then we are assured that we have been predestined for millions of years? No. Trillions of years? No. Uh, Before time, before you can't even put time on it. We were predestined for glory. Romans 8.30 People like to shy away from this passage. But it's one of the most glorious passages in all of the Bible. It's a golden chain. Verse 28 We know that all things work together for good to those who love God. He's doing those right now. You love God? Well, He's working things in you. And the good things, the bad things, to those who are called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew, He also predestined. For the ones He had a relationship with, He predetermined, that's interesting, Zach was showing me earlier in the Baptist, uh, not the confession, it's Baptist um, Faith faith and message, even in their latest one, it says that predestined did not mean to be predetermined. And the thing is, in the Greek and in the actual word itself, it's praharizo, which means to predetermine. He said it was up to us to determine whether we wanted to be with Him. But the thing is, it says here, He also predetermined or predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, the ones He predestines, what's He going to do with them? He's going to call them. And the ones He calls, what's He going to do with them? He's going to justify. And the ones He justifies... He's going to be glorified. You can't take anything out of that. Nobody can lose it because in God's eyes they're glorified. Did you notice that? Is that a great hope? We're going to be glorified. And you remember those passages, and the, especially there in Romans 8, from there on, uh, verse 31 through 39, or our John 10 passage, or John 6 passage, or Philippians 1 6 passage, many others. God will never let us go. It's Him who brings us in. He's the one who keeps us. And He is the one eventually who will glorify us. How do we keep that hope? We're done. Romans 12.2. Ready? Here we go. How do we do this right now? Well, we've looked at all these other passages, but this is a good one to close on. It's, It's too easy. Hebrews. It's not Romans. Thank you. Yeah, that wasn't going to work at all there. This works. Looking unto Jesus. He's talking about running uh, the race. Right at the end of 12. Let us run with endurance. The race that is set before us. He has set this whole race before you. All the... What are those things you jump over? The hurdles? He's put hurdles up and, you know, bends in the track and everything. It's a, it's a marathon race. And that's all been set. Each one of us have our own but we're all going for the same destiny. What do we do, though? We all do this. Looking unto Jesus, look at this. The author. That means the beginner. The the pioneer. He's the author of our faith. He's the one who starts the faith. Oh, this is a great one for, guess what? You got it. Predestination, election. Wasn't even looking for that, but there it is. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Listen, if, if He didn't finish it for us, we would never do it. We'd never make it, would we? Because it's all in His strength. But here's, here's what we're aiming at. Who for the joy that was set before Him, for Christ, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Then it says, for consider him. Look at Christ. See what he did. Look at the cross. Recognize that you are in Christ. He has paid for you. He's done everything. He's done the work. He's finished. And as far as he's concerned, the glorification has already happened as far as Romans 8 is concerned because that's all past tense too. For us, we still wait for it. What's that called? The hope. Have you put on the hope, your helmet of hope? Because you're going to have that great big sword and somebody's going to be trying to knock your head off. And when that happens, what do you do? Realize your helmet, that hope of salvation that is to come. Not only what's in the
1: past, the present, but what he has, is going to do for us. It's all glory.